inspiring and equipping you to live the life you're destined to live. This is the Ascend Men Podcast. On the Ascend Men Podcast, we've had interviews, we've had Q&As, and we've had panel discussions all of which have been hosted or facilitated by me or others. This week, we're trying something new. Picture the scene, two of our guys sitting in a cosy lounge late on a cold winter's evening, warmed by an open fire. We'll eavesdrop on their conversation about recent health challenges that could have ended their lives. You can't rush a fireside chat, so we've split this into two with a cliffhanger at the end of this one. You'll need to come back next week to get the full story. David is married to Suzanne, is the proud father of a son and two daughters, and is a keen cyclist. He became a Bachelor of Pharmacy from Nottingham University in 1985, and five years later graduated with a PhD from Liverpool University. Since then, he's only had two jobs, at GSK and now at AstraZeneca, where he's a Senior Director in Oncology R&D. Andrew is married to Jackie, with two offspring, and hails from where? Hertfordshire. Despite retiring in July 2022, Andrew can't fully walk away and continues to consult for Blakely Electrics, where he worked full-time for many years. He's a keen campervanner and, just like David, loves his cycling. Let's have our hearts warmed by part one of this inspiring fireside chat. Well, good evening, David. Well, I've just, just learned what a clever guy you are. Known you for years, and there's me thinking you swept the floors or something. You shouldn't there. believe everything well, you see on well, LinkedIn. Well, well, it's really good to have you around anyway. Yeah, you've uh, certainly uh, win with the fireplace. For people who can't see it, it's a beautiful... Is that Ingle Nook? It is an Ingle Nook, yeah. Wow. And it looks nice at this time of year. Um, and very sort of Christmassy and wintry, so... No, it looks amazing. So, yeah, um, yeah the scene is set. Have a beer. Well, thank you very much, yeah. I've got beer set up in front of me and an array of goodies. I think Carla. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you. Cr- crisps will be good. Beer will be a bit too wet on its own. So, give it a go. So, I, I can't talk and pour beer at the same time, no, obviously. Abs- but, uh, there we are. Absolutely not. Everything our wife says about us is true. So is it not the time of year for uh, camper vanning at the moment? No, I think camper vanning is uh, curtailed at the moment. Mm. And, I mean, we both cycle and I have to say at the moment I tend to... Garage garage cycling on the turbo or not it, at all? It is. It's it's more indoors. And, yeah. and actually part of that is partly sort of a result of, um, you know, one of my illnesses which okay. affected skeleton yeah. so if i come off now it's i'm more likely to break something than, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. come winter time i tend to wrap myself up mm. a little bit more carefully than, mm. than i would yeah. have done yeah yeah i probably don't have that problem but uh in my case i compared to before man do i feel the cold you know, mm. you know cold fingers cold toes so yeah the garage generally speaking much yep. preferable to being out when it's you know nearly zero outside. Mm. So obviously your big event was heart related. So 
has that affected your circulation now? Oh, oh, yeah, very definitely. Um, yes, yeah, probably coming up for two years ago since uh, I had my surprise, courtesy mm. of a, a regular health check, um, and yeah. So one of the one of the consequences of the surgery is that I'm on on medication that's usually used to treat people who've got high blood pressure, and I don't have high blood pressure, but it's left me with some heart irregularities which the tablets smooth out but they mm. also they also lower your blood pressure and so you, then you've got less blood going to your extremities which is mm. not so bad in the summer but it's mm. pretty miserable in the winter yeah so it's more the medication yeah it's one of those things i probably i probably said to you when we were out cycling before that um it's a mistake to try and compare yourself to before you had your surgery but if i was mm. to do so you have to recognise that I'll never get back to how I was before I had my heart surgery. But I think I'm about 90% and compared to how that could be and certainly compared to how I was immediately after the surgery, it, you know, I'm very, very grateful. I'm as good as I can, I can be, you know, particularly when you consider that it was, if it had gone undetected, it would have killed me. So, mm. you know, I've got no no grounds for complaint at all. Yeah, although our conditions were very different, actually. I, I was diagnosed when I was 41, just turning 42, the prostate, that I had prostate cancer, and I didn't have any symptoms. Yeah. And even now, it's generally considered people are over 50. I mean, that was incredibly young. So yeah. how did it get picked up? Well, my my dad had prostate cancer. Right. He was treated at Addenbrooke's. Mm -hmm. And his consultant said that, oh, you've got a son. Yeah. He should really get tested mm. sort of from the age of 40. It was 2006, and even the NHS and prostate cancer websites then were saying 50 yeah, yeah. to start monitoring. So this consultant said 40. I, I didn't get tested when I was 40, Yeah, you know, because... I'm a bloke and you put uh -huh. things off uh -huh. and the year just seemed to whiz by and it hadn't happened. It was coming up to another year gone mm -hmm. and I was just using up some holiday and I thought, yeah, I may as well start those PSA tests. Yeah. And so I booked into the doctors and had the first test. Gosh. Sort of the, the plan really with that was to start setting a trend. To start get a baseline. Yeah. Uh, I didn't expect a phone call from the doctors sort of saying, it's a high level, you'd better come and have a chat. How did you feel when you got that call? I was surprised at the time. Mm. I, I wasn't really worried and, you know, I didn't lose any sleep over things at that point yeah. because yeah. I just thought, well, yeah, it might be just one of those things that, yeah. yeah, it's high, but we'll just monitor it for the next few years. Yeah. And that advice from the consultant was really good advice and I can sort of pat myself on the back and think, I did a good job because mm, I followed mm, the advice. Mm. But the, the scary thing is that in my heart, I know how close I was to not doing it yeah, because yeah. work was busy. You yeah, know, there are other yeah, things that, yeah. you know, sort of I was Gosh. could have done with yeah. the time. So it's, it's also quite scary looking back mm. on it, thinking what if 
I hadn't because I didn't have any symptoms. And actually, when I went through the whole process of biopsies and stuff, the cancer was beyond safe limits. Right. And probably it would have been well and truly spread by the time I'd... Got round to it. Yeah. Yeah. Joking aside, and I'm not taking a a Mm. sort of cheap shot at you, but (laughs) when you were 40, that was a while ago now. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think I knew that... um, I knew you were young, but I didn't know the circumstances. I didn't know that you'd had a, a family history. But I don't think 20 years ago people took the the whole family history thing and the genetics of all of these things, whether it's heart disease or cancer, mm. I don't think it was as prominent in people's minds. Not not no. for the sort of your average person in the in the public. I think there's much greater awareness now. Mm. So you could have easily just kept putting it off and putting it off. Yeah, I, I suppose it's it's a good thing, isn't it, when family know about it, though, oh, and you're yes. accountable to others. Yeah, indeed. So indeed, yeah. There's, um, yeah, yeah. there's an element that I knew that probably my mother was going to ask at Christmas, mm-hmm. have you had that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah. sometimes it's, it's good for people yeah. to know these things and give you a bit of encouragement to get going yeah it's so it's so funny because um that sort of horrible sinking feeling when you've just gone thinking oh this is going to be routine and boring (laughs) that's exactly what happened to me because i'd i'd gone for a routine health check which we which we have every two years at work Mm. and um the doctor just literally picked up this extra heart sound with a stethoscope so you know no fancy equipment could have been picked up in any sort of regular checkup in your GP surgery. Mm. And uh, she said, oh, I can, you you, you get this checked out. It's an extra heart sound. So, and that was at the tail end of the year. And and so, you know, Christmas came along. There were no appointments to see a cardiologist until January. Mm. Right, yeah. Um, And I thought, well, I'm just going along to sort of dot the I's, cross the T's. Mm. He'll, you know, do whatever test he needs to do and it'll be, you know, well, that's good to have a precaution and all the rest of it. Mm. And so I'd had this second scan and then he's like, you know, come in, sit down. Let's talk about the first, the first scan, you know, pleased to say there's nothing wrong there. Mm. Now let's talk about the second scan. And there was something about a look on his face and his tone of voice. And it was just like, Oh dear, I'm in trouble. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. that horrible sinking feeling. It's just like, oh, this isn't going to be good news <laughs> at all. And, you know, he gave me a proper talking to about, really? you know, you're not going to drop dead next week or the week after, but this is really serious. You have mm. to get this sorted out fairly quickly. And that was that was mid-January. I was operated on at the end of March. So it was yeah. pretty quick. Mm. It was pretty quick. But that, yeah, that, that sort of horrible sinking feeling is... And what, how did Jackie react when... I think in a way it's sometimes harder for the person who's watching. Mm. I know when I actually sort of sat down with the consultant, yeah. so by then I'd had biopsies. So you sort of knew what was coming along to an extent. So you sort of steeled myself for that. But I have to say, the consultant that I saw, and I'd met some fantastic people through all my illnesses, but the consultant, probably very good, but his bedside manner really wasn't his strong point. And his delivery was pretty blunt. Right, right. And unforgiving. he had this sort of page, I remember like a graph, and yeah. and it showed the different scale of 
how aggressive the cancer was. Mm. And, mm. and he said, oh, and this is the line for yours. And, and I looked at the graph and I thought, yeah, well, that doesn't look too bad. And then you got his ruler and he said, yeah, but that's for somebody who's sort of 60 or 65. He said, because you're 41. Mm. And he sort of got his ruler and he turned it vertical on the graph. Yeah. And I think a bit like you, it was that sort of moment that you thought, yeah, yeah this, this is, is a bit more serious. This is serious, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just that sort of moment where all your plan that you had, yeah. you know, life just yeah. stops and does yeah. a U-turn, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's just bizarre. You sort of walk into an appointment and your life looks like one thing. Mm, mm. And then you come out and you're thinking, oh, am I going to be alive in a yeah, year or two years? Yeah, am I yeah. going to be able to carry on my job? Yeah. I remember when I was dying, work was going really well, lots of interesting things going on. And you, think, mm. and you shouldn't really be thinking about it. But, you, you know... Family, you had to. How old were your children at that point? 10 or 11 <gasps> oh, or 6. Uh, so yeah. you're thinking, oh, yeah. all these thoughts really just go. <clears throat> and and it is just bizarre how you say so you walk into a room and you walk out and life's so different, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, completely. That was very much the case in, you know, in my instance. It's just you've got this, you've got this problem with the valve of your heart. It's leaking about 50%. So every heartbeat, half the blood is going in the right direction, half the blood is going where it doesn't belong, and it's having this effect and this effect. And mm. you could have a stroke or you could, you know, do permanent damage or whatever. So there's all all of this. And and you've you've sort of then got to sort of plot a a rational and cool-headed way through it. And at the same time, you're sort of thinking, well. All the other people that I'd ever met that had had a heart surgery were a lot older than I am and actually, generally speaking, a lot less fit as well and maybe a sort of, yeah. you know, you'd sort of say, well, there'd be more contributory factors. And so then you're sort of like, well, what sort of a state am I going to be in? Mm. You know, when, when you're finished with me and, you know, what's recovery going to look like and all those mm. sorts of things. No. So what was your treatment like then? Did you have to have an operation or did you have... Yeah, again, I think my age sort of meant that certain options that would typically be available for prostate cancer mm. um, weren't so attractive. Right. So I was really told that surgery was was really the main, main route. Mm. And I have to say, as, a, as an engineer, I quite like the idea of get the cancer, <laughs> cut it out, throw Take it out away. Take the faulty part. Yeah. And <laughs> there's a sort of simplicity to it that was quite attractive. Quite appealing, yeah. Um, the, the downside of that was that prostate is quite inaccessible and the yeah. historical sort of operation was mm -hmm. pretty drastic. Yeah. And, yeah. and a high chance of... <laughs> Leaving you incontinent, With, impotent, oh, yeah. um, which as a forty-one-year-old yeah. isn't what really what you want to hear. No, no. So there were some big issues around mm. it. They say timing's everything. Yeah. And the great thing with my timing was a catching cancer while it was sort of, but but also the fact that Addenbrooke's Hospital had just become the first hospital outside of London to have robotic surgery. Wow. So when I was first put forward for surgery, they said I couldn't have the robot because it was too new. Mm -hmm. But then the early surgery went so well with the robot mm -hmm. that they 
they said I could have it. So I had keyhole robotic surgery rather than the big cut. Right, right. And it meant that, you know, rather than spending a week in the high dependency unit, as you would have done, um, yeah. you know, I walked out of the hospital after two or three nights wow. with a keyhole. So it's yeah. I was extremely fortunate yeah. with that. I'm sure, I mean, that's with the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? But I don't know, you might be the sort of person that's great at not worrying and switching off. Mm. But you, once you'd got over the ordeal of the surgery, mm. did you end up with the sort of thoughts of, have they got it all? What's oh. the long-term prognosis? Because it's not as simple as mm. all of that. I think if if I'm honest, and it, it's, it's easy to look back on things and with sort of almost rose-tinted glasses yeah. or, or you, know yeah. the, you know the end result. And yeah. But when I sort of look at the process, I went into the sort of diagnosis sort of wanting to be strong. Mm. I didn't know how severe it was going to be, but I wanted to sort yeah. of tackle bad news sort of head on. Uh-huh. And I, I remember we were actually leading house group that night Gosh. and we came out and Jackie said... Or should we cancel house group? And I said, mm. no, cancer's going to affect life enough. We won't let it affect things mm-hmm, it doesn't mm-hmm. need to. So we, we we had the house group. We didn't share with people there because there. we hadn't mm. told our children. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm. Um, but we just said, look, guys, we've got serious stuff going on. Mm. Just pray yeah, for us. Yeah. And so that was on a Wednesday. So outwardly trying to be strong, I have to say... It was almost sort of like a bereavement that I felt. Mm. And um, I remember just sort of feeling quite empty inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was, I I remember, it's a a bizarre moment, but it sticks so strongly in my mind, going to a supermarket Mm. on Saturday night to get some food for us, you know. and, And it was like I was just an observer. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was yeah. there, but I wasn't, and mm. you could see everybody getting ready for their Saturday night. Yeah, and yeah. It, it just, just, this, just didn't feel. This does really at affect all. me suddenly. Yeah, I've got bigger worries. And mm. and I remember we we sat down with the children and we watched a nice family film, and they went to bed and, and you know, it was just a nice Saturday mm. night family yeah. time. Yeah. But I remember just, I I I just burst into tears yeah. and. Um, yeah. And because you just knew that yeah. that, that normal life was all going to be put on hold yeah, or that, stopped. That, that yeah. wasn't real, you know, that, yeah. that had all changed. And and that was almost a low, that, well, that was a low point. Mm. And and that continued to Sunday morning. We, we didn't go to C3 then, we were in the village mm. church. Yeah. And uh, I remember trying to, the words, you know, for we were singing songs of worship mm, mm, mm. and and i couldn't actually get the words out of my mouth i, yeah, I remember just yeah. mouthing the words that that was yeah, as much yeah. as i could do and but then we decided to actually tell everybody mm, and it mm. was announced in church please okay. pray for us yeah yeah this is what's happening mm-hmm. we just want everyone to know mm. and do you know we we shared that and and I just felt completely different after that. Mm-hmm. You wow. know, the, the, mm. the hymn at the end of the service or 
was sung with gusto mm. and I had a sort mm. of sense of peace and 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 that stayed with me mm. from there and and it 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 did feel like from you know we handed that over and yeah. God gave us that sense yeah. of peace. Yeah. yeah, our situation was very different because two years ago we were still in very much in COVID times. And for one thing, I saw the surgeon on Friday in mid March, and he said, right, he said he said we'll operate on you. Not tomorrow, next Saturday. So I only had eight days to sort of think about the surgery and getting mm. ready. But when it was becoming clear that things were getting serious, it was a case of, well, actually, you can't really go into work. You can't go into public places because we've got this surgery planned for you. And if you catch COVID, not only will you miss your slot... <laughs> but yeah. you won't be able to have surgery for two or three months because of mm. the kind of potential complications of surgery in somebody that's getting over COVID. Mm. And so that sort of support that you get from your wider circle of friends and that sort of normality that you get from doing your normal things, mm. I wasn't able to do any of that because I just had to stay at home and stay away from yeah people mm. um and so that was that was difficult mm. really because it's not you know i'm not super sociable but i'm not hermit either no. so yes there was no you know, c3 was too big a, a place to go mm. and so we had to do church online and we were incredibly grateful for church online because for me at that time it was the only viable option mm. and i suppose the sort of challenges for me were different in that the surgeon was like, this is a really fiddly, complicated operation because mm. it's your heart and we have to stop it for, you know, an hour or so while we fiddle around with the plumbing. But um, it's a routine operation, but it's quite invasive, so... It's a bit of an understatement. Um, <laughs> you know, we will, you know, I was without you know, going yeah. into too much detail, you know, it was a sort of a the traditional complete opening your chest cavity. And so getting over that was difficult. But the actual operation itself was presented as a, for him, routine. Yeah. So And that with a, somebody who was as fit and healthy as me, a very good chance of a, of a, decent outcome mm. so long as there were no complications but then of course in my case it was the complications that were the problem because I you know I was in the hospital for a week came home for about three days and then ended up with all sorts of heart irregularities that were mm. unplanned and then having a ride in an ambulance back to hospital was mm. in hospital for a few days came back home, managed to stay home about 48 hours, and then I was having another ride in an ambulance. And so for me, when everything was going according to plan, mm. that was, it was blooming painful, to say the least, but it was going to plan. But afterwards, when the complications came, that was the, that was the mm. hard time, because it's just like, this isn't, this wasn't part of the plan. This is horrible. This is uncertain, and we're in uncharted yeah. territories here. So that was for me mentally and emotionally, and I think for Suzanne as well. That was the hardest time because it's just like mm. we're not we're not on the 
straight and narrow path here where no. in the realms of the unknown mm. um, and, you know, having to have ambulances turn up and then go screeching out of the village with their blue lights flashing doesn't do anybody any good. No, no. Uh, and obviously with your medical back background, did, do you think that helped or hindered or how did I th- that... I think having a medical background can be a good thing or a bad thing because a little bit of knowledge is a bad thing. Mm. I would say that I'm one of those people that doesn't spend too much time indulging their imagination or speculation. So mm. it's probably a good thing mm. when things are going badly because you just sort of take things a step at a time. So you're not the sort of person that would have been waking up at night thinking about things a lot? So, I mean, I was waking up a lot at night because my two halves of my rib cage were rubbing against each other. And so so I was doing a lot of waking up, but it wasn't because of intrusive thoughts. But particularly when I was having all the complications, the big Mm. risk after the surgery was that if I kept having all these arrhythmias, I'd have a stroke. And and there was the, the thing that I found most taxing and most emotionally draining and troubling was this thought that I might go to sleep with a heart problem yeah and then have a stroke while I was asleep and then wake up very sort of physically or mentally damaged or both as a consequence of the stroke and so it made going to sleep yeah I I would say frightening Mm. because because there was that what sort of a state will I, when I'm next to wait, what sort of a state will I be in? And that's very mm. hard to, mm. when you're dog tired anyway, because you're having bad nights of sleep, it's, yes. it's quite mm. difficult. And it was very hard for Suzanne because, you know, she mm. was not sleeping, sleeping on tenterhooks, listening out for sounds and all the rest mm. of it. And, you know, running around, I wasn't able to do any of the normal things that I do to no. help around the house and garden. So she was very tired and overwrought as well so yes. not an e- it wasn't an easy time no no sleep apnea was for me one of the scariest things yes. with the sleep apnea at its worst i could wake up and in the single moment of trying to get a breath i would go from lying down in my bed to being stood up bolt upright Gosh. in the room Gosh. and just yeah. taking that yeah breath. and yeah, yeah. I say it's, it's 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 such an aside with everything else that's gone on, but actually mm, now you mention mm, it, mm. brings it all back. Your prostate cancer—that's not the only thing that's been going on. It's not the only brush you've had with cancer. Um, am I right in that? Don't forget to come back next week to hear about what else nearly killed Andrew. Whether they expected to be supernaturally healed, their experiences of the NHS. And who's a lucky bastard? That's it for this Ascend Men podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, please share it with a mate. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we are stronger. <laughs>